everyone. Dave here. Thanks for coming along to another episode of the podcast. Great to have you with us. Um, now, on the podcast this week, we have PC Adam Collins with me. Uh, now, he is the dedicated football officer for Derbyshire Police. He grew up very much as a Chesterfield fan, going to games home and away, uh, before joining the police force 18 years ago. He then became the dedicated football officer just a couple of years ago before the pandemic started. Now, what this role is with Derbyshire Police is it basically covers the policing operation uh, for Chesterfield home games. And then he'll also work with dedicated football officers around the country in terms of away games too. Um, he spoke really well about how he works with the football club in terms of creating a safe and trouble-free match day experience uh, for everyone involved. He works with the safety team at the club, with the chairman, and also with the community trust on things like educational programmes too. All with the aim, really, of, like I say, creating a trouble-free match and also reducing the policing bill for the football club, uh, which means we can then buy more shamangas. Um, he uh, also spoke about the uh, challenges that are currently facing the police, court, police force with things like safeguarding and social media, how policing has changed uh, over the last uh, 20 years in terms of how they police matches, and also his aspirations uh, for what he'd like to achieve going forward too. Now, I'm at Spy Legends on Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spire on Facebook. So do get in touch. Uh, let me know what you thought about it. And uh, you can also find PC Adam Collins on Twitter just by searching for the Spy Rights Police account as well. So here we are with the latest episode of the podcast with PC Adam Collins, the dedicated football officer for Derbyshire Police. You are a Chesterfield fan, is that right? I'm a Chesterfield fan, yeah. Chesterfield born and bred. And yeah, a Chesterfield fan following in my father's footsteps who's been a season ticket holder since before season tickets were even a thing, I think. He's still there in the East End nowadays in his 70s. Um, so yeah, Chesterfield lad. Brilliant. Following um, his footsteps, really, yeah. Well, when do you kind of first remember going to a match then? What kind of era would that be? So it would have been my my sort of era of, of going to watch and being a season ticket holder, sort of late 80s into the 90s. And then when I joined the police, I kind of, in 2002, sort of them years from 2002, right up to getting back into it work-wise, sort of um, cooking, just unfortunately, just after the cook era. Um, and then I started doing the role-ish I'm doing now, uh, football spotting rather than the, the dedicated football officer's role. Um, then obviously I was going to the games again so you get that you get that buzz as much as I've got to sort of curtail it now a little bit with my role but um, but yeah it's certainly certainly in there being it being from Chesterfield What were your, what are your kind of happy memories match wise then? I suppose FA Cup runs and Yeah obviously yeah obviously FA Cup run again that was probably towards the, the end of me sort of following Chesterfield home and away as a fan as such um, but sort of my my main certainly early memories were the the nineteen ninety um, playoffs, so beating Stockport four 0 going to Stockport as a right, give me age away a ten year old lad with, with my dad um, being carried now being held back in the ground and I just remember being carried out with the ground just my feet didn't touch the ground I was just carried out in a bit of a crush out out the ground uh, but the atmosphere was amazing then obviously Wembley when well, we actually lost to Cambridge 1-0. Deon Dublin scored. Yeah. Remember Mick Leonard caught it, 
brought it down on the line, never went out, and the ref gave the corner and they, they undoubled and put it in from the corner against Mick Leonard. Um, and then we celebrated on the way back and all the Cambridge fans was coming out. I always remember it this day. Like they'd, they'd lost and we were still celebrating even though we'd, we'd, we'd lost. It was, it was crazy. So, yeah, some, some really good memories. Really good memories. Do you still get to enjoy football now that you kind of... Does it spoil it almost when you work in? Um, it's not the same. Obviously, stood at the start on the front of the stand on Saturday at Grimsby, and obviously, Cabby putting that um, 85th minute, what turned out to be a winner in. It's not the same, you know, being not being in the crowd, and obviously, with my role stood there and putting the uniform on, you, you do have to detach yourself as much as I don't make it any secret I'm a Chesterfield fan. A lot of the fans that know me and, and speak to me on a match day because I've been the role, been the uh, dedicated football officer role now for two years. Um, no, I'm, no, I'm a fan of the club. I think it helps with my role a little bit, you know, because um, I know I know what they're thinking, I know how they're feeling, I know sort of obviously the area. Um, I've sort of I'm on that that sort of same trajectory, if you like, uh, as the fans. So yeah, it does help me in terms of my other parts of my role, but. Yeah, you do have to be slightly detach yourself because obviously at the end of the day, you're there to, to do a job. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a lot better doing my job in the last 12 months than it has been the last um, four or five previous years because it, it's hard as well when the club haven't been doing so well. Uh, obviously, I'm still doing the same job, but yeah, I, I drive home with a smile on my face rather than thinking where, where we're going and another relegation and and. Every Chesterfield fan knows how hard the, the last five, six years have been prior to this, hopefully, continuing revolution of the last 12 months. Yeah, I mean, that's we're leaping forward a bit, but that was a question, actually, that I had in that, is it easier or harder to police when a team is doing badly or when a team is doing well? What's kind of better for you? Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly, the crowds go down, so you have less people to worry about, but uh, yeah. when you're doing well, there's more of a feel-good, is there? Yeah, obviously, I, I please Derby as well. It, not my mate. There's, there's sort of two of us in the office. Uh, one of us does Derby, and obviously, I do Chesterfield or, or take the lead on Chesterfield, takes the lead on Derby, as well as other things what we'll go into. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of it has different vibes. So obviously, when we're doing, doing really not so well, that the crowds was well, well down. A, a lot of uh, the issues kind of please the cells because. Um, the people who got probably overexcited, let's say, at this stage and, and, and caused issue in terms of when police have to step in, kind of kept away because of the whole situation at the club. It obviously, but it's other issues. Sort of, I remember the protest against Baseford, albeit it was peaceful, but it was a real horrible feeling around the club. And, you know, you could feel it from both sides. You know, it, it wasn't a nice place to be. And that, that's not just coming from a sporter's point of view, you know, Obviously, my colleagues that I work with, it just wasn't a nice atmosphere to work in. Um, flip that round on its head. Now, we're <laughs> this last 12 months, the club have turned it around. And brilliant work, really, by, by all concerned. Then, it you know, it, it brings larger crowds back. Um, and then, obviously, unfortunately, we, we do see the other side where people get a little bit overexcited. And um, so, yeah, it's... I wouldn't say it was all good or all bad, but it brings different challenges. Yeah, definitely. So then if we go back to you actually joining the police, yeah, was that something you'd wanted to do for ages or was it just 
How did that no, it, You know what? No, it was anybody that knows me would, this would be the last role that they ever thought I'd apply for. You know, I never grew up dreaming to be a police officer. Um, I, probably easy if I said I was, to be fair, but um, no, I always grew up wanting to work in Peak District National Parks, Park Ranger and, and things like that. So what I went to college for, got a sort of uh, HND in countryside management. And yeah, kind of went down that path. Then one day I just remember sat in the office at work and there was an advert at the Derby Times recruiting police officers filled it in and the rest of the say is history just kept going through and getting the letters saying come to the next phase as it was back in those days um and yeah next minute I was handing my resignation in and walking into Ripley headquarters on May 13th 2002 and nearly 20 years later here I am <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know if any of you have to do bleak tests and stuff like that don't you when you're joining police yeah, yeah, the bleed test still in. I think it was at 8.2 when, when I joined and you had to do sort of a 27 seconds shuttle, uh, shuttle run, run around cones obstacle course and sort of grip test and strength test. Uh, slightly different now, but we, we still have yearly yearly bleed tests and, and fitness tests and things like that. But yeah, it's um, in a blink of an eye, 20 years has, have gone gone like that. <laughs> what's, what's it like getting to grips with being a police officer then? Um. Remember, to be honest, is it, it, it is that long ago. You say 20 years, it's a long time, isn't it? But it's 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 really not. And if I think about my life 20 years ago, it's a, it's a million miles away from where I am now. But yeah, I suppose looking back, you know, your circle of friends change a little bit. You don't not that you realize at the time, but you know, people start seeing you as something something else because you put the uniform on, mm. which as I said to you on the phone last week, that's something that we'll, we'll never particularly change. We can chip away at and we can try and change, but ultimately people see us, some, some people see us as the big bad wolf or the, you know, they see us as upholding law or, um, and I, certainly my current role, I try and flip down its head and say, you know, if you behave yourself or you abide by the, the rules, the law, then I'll, I'll talk to you and engage with you and I'll, I'll We'll have a cup of tea with or whatever uh, on, on any level, but um, we're always going to be seen as the the bad ones, the party poopers. Certainly, when it when it comes to my current role, um, but there's a there's a fine line, and I'd like to think we get it right. We're certainly a lot better than than we than we used to be. Um, I know that's that's probably a subject we'll we'll come on to in terms of of how the roles change and stuff like that, but. Um, yeah, again, answering your question, it, it has changed massively. Um, if I think what I was like through my teens and early 20s to, to how I, I adapted and you just sort of your social circles slightly change. But again, it's kind of subtle changes that you really realise until, until you sort of look back. Mm. You'll have obviously started off as a, a kind of a, a policeman just on the beat. and an yeah. actor, didn't you? So when did it come about with being the dedicated police? Uh, yeah, so football officer, sorry. Yeah, so yeah, my current officer, I'm a DFO or dedicated football officer for prim- primarily my club's Chesterfield. Um, so I've only actually done that. I got the job October 2019, so literally a few months before good old COVID set in. Um, and before that, I'd just done 18 years on on sort of response, so frontline 999 answering 999 calls. But in addition to that, in 2010, I, I I sort of started to be what they call a football, we used to call a football spotter. So we call them operational football officers now. So the team that I now manage, so they'll just work with us on, spot, on um, 
on match days. So I've been in that world since about 2010, just doing match day, match day uh, officers working with the DFO. Um, and then my predecessor, when PC Wright retired in October, I was lucky enough, applied and, and got the role. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I was just waiting for him to retire for nine years, to be fair. <laughs> but, yeah, I love it. And like I say, they, I, I do miss the shift side of it. You know, I do miss coming on and off with a, with a big shift and running around with blue lights on. But I think it gets to a point where you need a break from it. And 18 years looking back was probably a lot longer than most do in that frontline role. Um, and yeah, in this, bar COVID, I've uh, really enjoying it. So you mentioned the spotters. Yeah. So are they the the guys that we see kind of with cameras and uh, or, or things like that? They're just kind of in and out? Yeah, not, not, not so much with cameras. We, we do carry cameras around with, but um, sort of the cameras will be what are called evidence gatherers. Um, mm. So the spotters will, will wear the same sort of blue and yellow vest that, we wear that DFOs wear and, and they're just they'll have sort of an increased knowledge. I work more games than than sort of your average officer. Um and they'll sort of get to know more because ultimately we, we are a safe and able team, uh, a beat team for for that club. So we try and sort of engage with the fans, which is a massive change to what to how going through the ages we, we used to police football. You know, we have improved, but I think for me, unfortunately, some people still think we're police like this in, in the 90s, even the even the, the noughties, if you like, the, the 2000s, um, certainly this last 10 years, how we react and plan and brief and, and engage at football matches is is worlds apart. Um, but it's it's um, it, it'll take a while to get in people's mindsets uh, of how we do. And we don't always get it right. You can't. <laughs> you're <human>. no, no. <laughs> Sometimes you put in an impossible position, and you know, um, we, we don't get it right all the time. Um, and it's about learning from from each incident. Really, you know, every certainly every time there's a catering rain, we there's planning meetings going to that. There's briefings, and ultimately there's a, there's a debrief. Even if everything's gone right, we always have a debrief. So we're always looking to improve. Um, and my personal thoughts is we have come a million miles compared to where we were not that many years ago. So as a, uh, does every police force in the country kind of have an, a dedicated football officer or equivalent then? Is this a national a national thing? Yeah, yeah. So if you go on, there's a thing called the APP, so Authorised Professional Practice. You put it in Google, it'll come up. And, and under the, the DFO role, it'll say that each force should have a, a DFO if you've got a, a top five division club within your force, should have somebody dedicated to that club. So I suppose ultimately the DFO role, if you read the, this, this goes on for about three pages, but ultimately it's that you're there to act as a, a link between police, supporters and the club. So a bit of liaison officer. So before it became the DFO role, it was called um, FIO, sort of force intelligence officer. So they've just kind of modernised that really, made it, um, and you are that link uh, between the club. Ultimately, I see it as a as a beat bobby for the club. So where we have beat bobbies for like Omol or Lanza Green or or Chesterfield Town Centre, I am that, but just happen to be for a football club rather than a specific area as such. So yeah, from a 
from my point of view, I, th- I think it works really well. So take me through like a week and a week of your life. So if we had a, a match day on a Saturday, yeah, then take us through from like Monday to Monday to Sunday, what what your kind of basic bits are that you do each week. Yeah, so our, our shift patterns Tuesday to Saturday, so we have Sunday Mondays off. So Tuesdays, if well, if into match on a Tuesday, normally it's mopping up from any incidents that's going to have sat this sort of reviewing any body cam or CCTV, uh, linking in with the club, see if anything's happened there. I work really closely with the safety officer, Tony Booker, uh, at the club. Uh, in fact, I spoke to him, I speak to him more than my wife sometimes. I've been on phone to him three times today. So that that's sort of my counterpart at the club, if you like. And me and Tony work, work really, really well together. Um and then obviously, if anything has happened on the Saturday, it's a case of, you know, I'm still a police officer, we investigate everything. If there's been a pitch incursion or there's some damage or there's been an assault, um, some antisocial behaviour, there's obviously things will go down with that. So uh, we have an active workload as well. So um, there's things that probably happened at the Torquay game a few months ago that still sat in my workload that I'm still sort of looking into or, or making inquiries into. Um but in terms of the, the match on, if there was a match on the following Saturday, certainly if it was a Catterick game, so like Grimsby's, Stockport's, Wrexham's, OEX league teams, um, there's always a, a three-pronged planning process for them. So a month before the game, there'll be what we call an initial planning meeting. So we'd get together with sort of silver commander and I'd sort of give the intelligence on Chesterfield or on say for a Chesterfield Grimsby game and they basically made a decision how many resources we need for that game and two weeks after that we'd have an interim planning meeting so I'd give them a bit more intelligence on on the latest what was happening they'd sort of make further plans around what resources going into the game and then obviously a few days before the game there'd be a final planning meeting where you put the final plan and final staffing in place uh, briefing operation orders and things like that so it's kind of a bit of a round robin, but yeah, a lot of work goes into certainly the catering games. A lot of work goes into seeing all if you see vans full of cops, you know, they're not just magically paid. There's quite a lot of planning and processing goes into that. Um, and then when it comes around to match day, it's running all the briefings, uh, making sure we're all singing from the same hymn sheet, really. Um, and the big thing for us that, that we're really pushing is, you know, 10 plus years ago, Maybe you saw a different policing approach uh, on a match day. People used to stand there in the full kit with the pads on underneath, so it's hands in pockets, maybe not engaging as much. Mm-hmm. Very rare now will you see officers suited and, and, and padded up. It's all about and we press it at briefings, engage, you know, talk to folk. You know, we're all human beings and you, you can try and cut them barriers down, those boundaries down and... and, and and in a way, even if you only affect 1% of people, you can change the mindsets a little bit. And we're seeing some really good results with it. And it's weird, isn't it, how some teams, there'll be some matches in a season where people will say, oh, there'll be trouble at that one. You know, like you do with like Grimsby. Yeah. We've not, not played them for quite a few years, but yeah. <laughs> and everyone will go, oh, it's Grimsby. It, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah, and that's all I've had for the last month on a match date. Oh, it's Grimsby. Oh, you're going to be busy, Adam. You're going to be busy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, it's Grimsby. Everybody comes up to you and say that. You know, 
yes, there was a little bit of trouble. It's well documented on social media on Saturday, but, you know, it, it was isolated. You know, it wasn't the majority of people who went to that match went to the game to see the game. You know, we're talking about really small percentage of people that unfortunately Humberside Police had to put a, a sizable policing operation on for and the rest of it, you know, majority of them wouldn't even seen a police officer, wouldn't have seen any trouble, hadn't been for social media, they wouldn't have known anything that had gone off. Mm. And, you know, and it was isolated. It wasn't, you know, you know we're not talking about back in the, the dark days of the 70s and 80s where people were scared to go to the games. You know, we're a million miles away from that. But unfortunately, football violence is still there, hence why I, I probably do my role. Um, but... Hopefully, we're, how we're how we're working now, it is isolated incidents rather than sort of all day brawls. When we look in the, the dark days of the seventies and eighties, how has it changed then over the years? Because you've mentioned kind of how you're trying to change, trying trying to change how you do things a bit from from many years ago. So, so how has that changed? Um, funny enough, I've just done a course. Uh, we call it POPSA course, so Public Order, Public Safety Advisor course, uh, two weeks in Manchester. And it's all, the, the course was all designed around, there's a massive change in 2009 when, I don't know if you remember, a lad got hit, I think it was down the Met, and a lad got hit at a, a demonstration um, in front of the line of a police baton line, got hit with a baton, fell over, uh, and seriously injured. And it was kind of a massive review. Then obviously we had the riots in 2011. And we kind of changed as, as policing style, really. We stopped escorting fans. I remember working the Derby Forest game for years and years and years. And I remember one year, probably about seven, eight years ago now, we just we always used to escort them from um, the pub near the train station to the ground. So we used to put marching from the train station to the pub, not let them out of the pub, marching from the pub to the, to the ground. And we used to give them kind of... Um, of a security blanket really for, for want of a better word and they expected us but we kind of highlighted that it was there which caused its own trouble mm. and then we just we should stop doing that we said no we'll put a policing operation on and you know you can go where you want basically um and i always remember the forest fans going what do you mean you're not escorting us like no you know you're free to go anyway like that's not safe to do so said, why ain't it just you know you chose to come to the game. We're all, we're all grown adults. Go to the game. And it was, it, again, it was changing that mindset. And it was really strange, really brave from our gaffers, to be fair, at, at the time to, to make that call, not to escort him. But a few years down the line now, it's paid dividends and we don't see... The, there is still a place for escorts, but we don't see that it was kind of routine where now it's, it's just as and when. We kind of give people the, the sense in, you know, until you cause an issue go where you want and we're even now it's going to the point where we're losing the home and away tags on that we used to put on pubs which i think's really good um but you know we're not going that that long way where there were pubs where there was absolute no go on it and any match to remind you high category games so mm. i'd say it's small steps but i think it is getting better um but unfortunately, like I said, my favourite saying is we haven't got a magic wand. It's a, it's a marathon, not, not a sprint. And it, it will take time. And, you know, people ask me, and I know it's a favourite question of, oh, you don't have DFOs at rugby or DFOs at 
at cricket or anything like that. And yeah, because it's kind of inbuilt into football, you know, passed on from generation to generation sometimes. You know, you've got movies made and you've got specific laws that only relate to football, which you haven't got in other sports. And that's only because history dictates. Again, go back to the 70s and 80s, even Margaret Thatcher called it the English disease. It's going to take a bit. Will we ever get to a perfect world where you don't need a DFO or you don't need a policing presence at a football, at football game, certainly category of football games? That is the ideal world we're all aiming for. Because um, ultimately, it costs taxpayer a lot of money, doesn't it? Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting as well. You talk Cuff, about how it all changed. I imagine back then there was some people in in the police going, "You shouldn't do, <laughs> you shouldn't do that." Yeah, yeah. And that, that you had to kind of change. Yeah, that as more police came in, I suppose they'd get used to it a bit quicker. I'd imagine it was a bit of a culture change, just yeah, oh, as well. Yeah, massive culture change because it, it was always. Um, oh, it, it's this game or oh, we need this amount of staff on and we always used to have sort of set amount of staffs where everything's bespoke now so we look at the information intelligence we look at the threat and risk on each individual game and ultimately because the times we live in the less police we can put to that game the more resources we can put to, to other to other things so you know there has been I know before COVID we did we did a review of the unit and we had cut the office hours dedicated to football by quite some and that's just because how we've changed the ballpark but unfortunately I don't think certainly my service that we'll ever get to a point where we can have you won't see police at, at, at games I don't I think we're a long way off that but it's certainly in the in the last 10 years it, it has become a, a safer place to, to go and watch a game of football yet it's not we're not quite at rugby's level yet and I don't think we, we probably ever will be um, but it's small steps. Mm. So, what are the like main priorities at the moment? Then, is there anything that's because obviously, and I was asked, it kind of links into the next question as well, which I was going to talk about social media. Because obviously, yeah. during the Euros, there was all the incidents of all the racist abuse and things that were all over social media, and that's something that's kind of a still relatively new thing, isn't it? That's coming over the last decade. Or so. Yeah. It's obviously under since COVID, it's kind and behind closed doors things and people was watching watching games online and, and things like that. It became a real problem of of the online online hate. Uh, certainly, the, the hate aspect of it. Um, one of my other roles, I'm actually an England spotter as well, so I, I've just got a job um, following England. So the same job I do at Chesterfield, what I do for England as well. But before I got the England role in the summer, I was um, anytime the tournament or on the investigation team. So actually for the Euros, I sat on, there was 10 of us around the country sat on. Um, so we're run by the UKFPU, so the United Kingdom Football Policing Unit, who's based down in Croydon. Um, so that's where the central hub is in Croydon, the home, home office there. Um, but there was 10, 10 of us around the, around the country having sort of daily briefings and, and investigating everything that was that was coming in. Um I think at the last count, there was over 200 specific points of um, contact sent out uh, in terms of crimes just relating to the penalty misses for the three players. Mm. Um, it, it was crazy. It, it, it was really crazy. So only managed to whittle it down to, to 200 uh, in terms of cases going out as packages. But um, the, the, the meltdown for, from that, and 
you know, we're living in the year 2021. It just shouldn't be happening. And the amount of work it takes to look at that is, is phenomenal. And I know people say about Facebook and Twitter, you know, they should do more, which I don't fall out with. And, you know, we need to get to the point where if you had an, have a social media account, it can only be you that's created that account. It's got each account's got to be accountable because mm. that is the only way we're going to get rid of it. Um, I was on a Facebook meeting a few months ago now, and the amount of traffic on them platforms, you cannot. I know people say you can't you just put keywords or block everything. You block so much stuff, but even I, I've not got. I should have wrote the figures down really to, to tell you, but um, the figure you know it it was in the absolute millions per minute. There's no way of putting any filters away without cutting the freedom of speech out because that's the problem. Mm. If they start filtering up too much, nothing would ever get put on it and it kind of ruin the idea behind the platform. Um, yeah, sorry, I've gone off on one now, haven't I? But um, yeah, it's in terms of his current issues, obviously the racial stuff, um, myself and Rog Brown, who, who does Derby, the, the DFO in, in Derbyshire Police, uh, did a video, anti-racism video. And it, it, it is an issue. You, you do things like that, and it, it took sort of ten minutes of the time to do the video, and you get the usual comments. Well, you should need to be out there locking burglars up and, and murderers, and, and and yeah, there's a lot more police resources put into, quite rightly so, put into that. You know, Derbyshire Police, uh, CID department is huge, and we just don't do Derby and Chesterfield. We also look at Alfreton, and then we've got the the other clubs as well, like Matlock, Buxton, Belper, Ilkeston. All are having really good seasons um, that that we do look at, look after as well. So yeah, so the, the racial stuff is is really big online at the moment. Um, I've been into the to the players in September at Chesterfield and sort of give her input to them as well um, around sort of investigations. What how can I how can help if they were victims of such things? We we do see it from the stands to players as well. So trying to cut that out and sort of build them bridges there. It's about educating people, really. And again, it's it, there's no quick fix to it. It's all about sort of getting it out there. And we've got two cases going through Derbyshire course at the moment for the just for the Euro final stuff. So as soon as they're out, again, it'll be a case of using social media and, and get it out there saying, you know, these things will be, you know, it's not all right. You can't hide behind your keyboard. Um and you, you will be, you'll be found, you know, whatever you do online, it does leave a digital, digital footprint. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of a bit of a hot potato at the moment. Mm. The other massive thing for us is safeguarding sort of vulnerability uh, up and down the country. Obviously we've got, got quite good links with, with other DFOs up and down the country. We've all got one database that we, that we work off, that we share information on, um, Issues with, with sort of youth, and I'm talking kids as young as 12 or 13 up to sort of 18 to 20, there's a real, real problem with sort of antisocial behaviour at football with like-minded groups. Um, so from a, from a safeguarding point of view and an educational point of view, really, that's probably at the moment takes up the majority of my time, even over the racial stuff. Um, yeah, so I'd say that along with the racial stuff, it is, is kind of the, the two things that are current and, and, and really, really cause an issue, to be fair, within sort of policing football. Yeah. And and I suppose it's about uh, 
like you say, policing historically, you kind of have this image of police uh, a, a bit different to how they are now because you're yeah. kind of social workers. Uh, you know, you've got to be good with people, haven't you? And, and you've yeah. got to be able to talk to people and engage with people, and especially if they're really young as well. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and clubs have moved on a, a million miles, and that's the other advantage of our role. You know, like I said, I mentioned Tony Book earlier, but I work really, really close with, with Tony. And they've got their own safeguarding policy, which probably 10 years ago they, they wouldn't have done. You know, the world's moving on and we are moving on with it. And it, it is helping uh, massively, um, I think. But again, the problem is another part of our role that I'll talk about is I go into school. So uh, the, the few months for between getting the role and COVID coming in, I start to do um, a lot of school inputs. So aged at that youth element so sort of year 11 and 12 so GCSE level you know going in giving them our inputs and showing them some videos and you know do you turn left or do you turn right these are consequences of your own action what's fun on a Saturday afternoon with your mates it's not fun two weeks later when you sat opposite me in a police interview room because you've chucked something or you've damaged somebody you've assaulted somebody or you've you racially abused some, somebody you know and it, then the impact that can have on uh, future job prospects and things like that. Well, hopefully, before it gets to that point, the idea of going into schools is try and educate and stop them getting that far because they don't think because it's it, heat of the moment thing. Sometimes it's you know crowd mentality, pack mentality. They're with the mates, or the mates are doing it, or they want to look good in front in front of the friends. And it's about having them basic conversations with people, saying it's not you're going to be friend stood there in in the interview room or in court or applying for that job where two of you go for the final interview, one's not known to police, one's got a caution for a silly thing like chucking something on a football pitch or going onto the football pitch. You know, we're talking basic offences, but that can be the difference. Mm. And by by doing that, something that we've, we've probably never done before, we are seeing, we are seeing a difference, but um, just in case you're trying to get around everybody really. And What's it like working with the club then? Because... Yeah, you obviously say you have quite a lot of you'll have quite a lot of uh, kind of back and forth with them, I suppose. Uh, yeah, by week. Yeah, I've got a really good relationship with the club. Um, like I say COVID's not out. We had we had sort of grand plans, but it's really hard. We thought we were getting there with it, and all of a sudden it's it's coming back again. Um, I have regular contact with with John Crew, who's really good, really helpful, really supportive, um, and we bounce ideas of each other. Obviously, Terry Ward is a safety certificate holder, so we have a lot of conversations with him. Um, but ultimately, with, with Tony Booker, who's kind of my my sort of go-to at the club, and we work really closely uh, together on a match day. Um, yeah, all really good blokes, all sort of know my role and my limitations. But, you know, that stuff that they can do for me, I, we kind of work really well, and it's all about making a football event safe, cutting down the antisocial behaviour, cutting down the, the criminality, cutting down the crime reports. And ultimately, if we get that right, cut down the police resources we have to put to matches and people, you know, we can put police, as police resources elsewhere. Also got to mention to Keith Jackson as well, we're in sort of initial meetings to, to go into it, to get me back into the schools. Obviously, they've already got the links from the Community Trust. And the work they do is is fantastic. I'm, I'm only sort of a couple of meetings in in with them at the moment. So that's sort of a new venture I'm, I'm trying to go down. 
but yeah, really important that all them people I've mentioned, and there's loads of people I haven't mentioned there as well, um, got really good relationship with everybody at the club. Um, and it's it does help that last 12 months have turned around on the because before that it, it wasn't the nicest place to go sometimes because it never is when when you lose your match after match after match. So it's a happy place to be around at the moment that when I when I do go down there on a non-match day. It's uh, it's really positive and link long may it continue. Yeah, I was gonna mention actually because with been having community trust now, it is more there's like an educational focus, isn't there? Like yeah. to the club. So I suppose yeah. that links in quite well with you, doesn't it? And I suppose it must be quite yeah. pleasing for you to have that. Really well, yeah. When I so when I first took the role on and I sent email after email to, to all the schools in the area and they're offering me 20 minute slots and as you can see, I can, I can probably talk about football all day. So yeah. 20 minutes is not worth anybody's time of going in because by the time I've introduced myself and told my role, that's that's 20 minutes up. And yeah. um, but I, I did manage to get in three schools for COVID, COVID shut and sort of to big assemblies and two hour slots. Um, but the idea going forward, sort of with community trust and, and, and Keith Jackson, is to do more targeted areas. So obviously, because of the role they do. They have a lot of sort of vulnerability groups that, that they've already got contact with. They're already in schools. They've already got that contact. So it's a case of more, doing more targeted work, really, around the people that probably cause me issue. I say me, sort of police issue on, on a match day um, to try and get to that happy place a, a lot quicker. And ultimately, stop people getting arrested, stop people getting police records, and to educate him, which you know is one of the key parts of my my role, really minimising ASB and criminality and and creating that link with supporters, and, and hopefully most supporters. And it's a great graphic that I used on the on my briefing where we sort of got we sort of categorise people like we do games now. So we we have sort of spotter owner, sorry. I'll, Operational football officers only games, low category, medium category, high category. And we have that same with sort of what we call risk supporters or it used to be called hooligans back in the day. But we just call them, we nicely call them risk supporters now. So we sort of have high, low and medium category supporters as well. So it's all about moving them, moving them from that high category and engaging with them and working with them and try and get them to the medium, low and even non-risk, um, which... Obviously, the majority of people are, but if we can do that, brilliant. Then you know our job's done, and we can put as resources into into other things. But um, it's really easy when you say it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just solved all police's issues in in twenty minutes. Doesn't sound like a hard job at all. <laughs> no, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, if only. I suppose, like you've touched on as well, it, it's like a line in the budget for the club, isn't it? Yeah. So. If, if you do get things that es- escalate in certain seasons or whatever, it does have a have a financial impact actually on the club then, doesn't it? Yeah. Obviously, as you know, I'm not sort of giving any secret, I'm not, not going to details, not giving any secrets away, but everybody gets, opens the accounts, they, you know, they can see the policing bill historically. Uh, there is a there is a, a policing cost to the club uh, for, for Catera Grahams, there is there is a charge which obviously is reflecting the accounts every year at the AGM. So yeah, the the more my role can work with the club, hopefully the more we can bring that bill down. Um, again, we're we're talking 
um, best case scenario, but that's why it's really important to have these links and, and the work we do with the, with the community trust and, and right from the top, you know, we're talking Chief Exec John Crew right now to Tony Booker, match safety officer, and I'll give Dean Hill a mention as well, stadium manager, because I'm on phone to him most days. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of communication going off between a lot of them and there's a lot of good people working at the club. Um, and ultimately, if I can bring that policing bill down, then we're in a win-win because it means that we've cut that threat and risk down. We've made it a more enjoyable atmosphere to go to the game. What's what's it like working with some of the other clubs around around Derbyshire? Because there's obviously it's it's weird, isn't it, Derbyshire for football clubs? Yeah. We've always historically had Derby and Chesterfield, but then you've got a lot of other smaller clubs as well. Around, yeah, you must be working around quite a few outside of those. Yeah, I do have um, because Rog does Derby, and, and that does sort of consume majority of his time. I sort of my role within the unit. I do Chesterfield, sort of my main club, but then I do. Um, I have a lot to do with Alfreton and then I do keep in touch with uh, Matlock, Buxton, uh, Belper and Roger does Ilkeston actually so I don't have much to do with Ilkeston but we've kind of cut it north and south just to keep it easy but yeah uh, certainly under Cover we had a lot to do with it because they were still lad fans in Chesterfield Derby and Alfreton weren't so um, we sort of got around them and I've got some really good good keys again Myself and Tony Booker really uh, supported the club. I know there's just been a social media post gone out about it mm. uh, for the FA Cup second round game. Um, so me, Tony and Kev Mason, the, the one who's head stewards, went up to the club the week before when all the snow was on the ground and spent a couple of hours around there and and sort of pointing out what they need to get. Because it. it's a massive fixture for them. They only normally get sort of around a thousand people maybe. And to try and get 4,000 people in that ground that's, Stuck at Middler and Hours in the state is, is no mean feat, and the, the work that went into and the, certainly the advice that that Tony gave him, um, and all thanks to the club really again, uh, and John Crew allowing Tony to do that as well. Um, it just shows how far the club's moved on um, from the sort of um, previous uh, five years of what what we've all seen to the community trust taking over and the fact that they really want to put it as a community club and even help pull up, you know, other Derbyshire clubs out, which, you know, a lot of work went into that, that Buxton game. And I know that they're really, um, they're really thankful for it. And I know they put a post out about it, about it last week, but, you know, it is kind of underegged it really a little bit, all the work that Tony did for it. And that's all thanks to the club, really. I know they've got great links with Matlock as well. Um, obviously, Chesterfield play them in a friendly every year and, and let them keep the money as well. Um, but yeah, it's a really feel-good factor, I feel. It's certainly from a, a Derbyshire policing point of view in terms of the community impact that the club's having at the moment. It's uh, it's really, really positive. I know Belpa phoned me up last week and straight away I phoned Tony up and I gave him a couple of stewards to work last Saturday because they had a few issues. Um, we swapped some safeguarding plans so there's a real sort of community feel around around Derbyshire football really at the moment, and long may it continue. So we can help each other. Then we can cut this, cut these things down. Then it's all about making it an enjoyable place to go again, isn't it? So last few bits really from me. So like yeah. you, you've got the social media account. I have. That's Spy Rights Police, isn't it? That's the one. Yeah. 
So what's is, have you had some fun interactions on there? I can imagine. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes have to reread it before I post it, but um, <laughs> obviously, ultimately, it is a, a police account, so I have to be uh, mindful sometimes that that what it is. But again, it's a re- it's something that it's been around long before I was DFO. Um, Dave Wright before me used it, but it was all very rigid back in the day. Um, and again, much to how we police football, really, it was all about sort of arrest and who's been charged and can we identify this person and there was no sort of fun stuff on there and there's a fine balance to be struck for me personally and I know um, obviously I'm, I'm governed by the, the powers that be and certainly my, my, everything I put to, on there or the, the way I try and run the account it ultimately gets viewed by my sergeant but I, I use it as a massive engagement tool I said when I, when I took the job and certainly my first uh, meeting with, uh, with the club that if I can sort of try and de-unify, de-uniform myself, you know, and show that I'm a human being do, doing a role, then that that was my way of looking at doing the role, really, because then fans talk to you. Um, then they were all human beings. We all, we all want, majority of us want to go and watch a, a, a trouble-free match. And I, 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 we're getting there slowly. Um, whether we'll ever get there fully, uh, that, that's that's another story. Um, but yeah, I really try and use it as an engagement tool, and you know, if I can get people talking and, and interacting, that's how I, that's how I see it. Um, obviously, it backfires sometimes when um, I have to do the ultimate the, the end game, which if people do overstep the mark and I have to arrest them, then obviously, because of my role, I end up dealing with them, um, and it's frustrating because. I see posts going on that I know is not true, but I can't comment because obviously there's court proceedings and, and things like that. So, so yeah, as much as I love using it as an engagement tool, it's also frustrating at times because obviously from a police account, we have to play by the rules and and you, you can't always comment. I try and use it to, to kind of de-unify and, and show that I'm actually... I call myself a fan liaison officer sometimes, so I'm there to act as a, a link between the police and the club and supporters. Um, but ultimately, sometimes I have to be the big bad wolf that, that go around and do the door knocks when people have overstepped the line as well. I was So we're getting near the end, but I was going to ask, like, this current season, yeah, so it's nice for you. You're a boyhood Chesterfield fan, so it's nice yeah. for you to be able to see a winning team and a feel good around the club and stuff yeah. um i suppose ultimately you're you're hoping like everyone else that it, we're lifting a trophy at the end of the season and it's all, all good and fun at the end of the season and then and then i suppose that that, that links into me kind of if you, when we go up a league we're yeah. working then with a completely different bunch of clubs so is that quite yeah. nice that you're not chatting to the same dedicated football officers. Yeah, well, it is, yeah. yeah. Obviously, yeah. but when, it, when I started as a, as a spotter for the club or as a operational football officer, as they're now called, but, you know, we, it was in League One. So I've gone from League One to League Two to, you know, what, the fourth years in our National League. Mm. So, yeah, it'd be nice to have a, a change of change of clubs. It'd just be nice to get back the, the league status back for, for the club, um, ultimately. Uh, and, yeah, see, see a different set of fans. Obviously, the only advantage of, from my point of view of being in the same league is that 
at least you've got some recent history. You've got oh, what happened last year, mm. right? So you've got a bit of a footprint, the blueprint of, of recent history. Obviously, some of the clubs that hopefully Chesterfield will be playing next year in in, in League Two. Um, you know, it's probably been four, five, six years since since we played some and, and, and more. For, certainly for the ones that are dropping down from, from League One, but a nice problem to have and a problem. I hope, I really, really hope that I am having next year. And when we do, I'll come back on and speak to you. <laughs> what just before we play Mansfield? <laughs> uh, yeah, I might be busy just before we play Mansfield, but um, who knows? Hopefully, Mansfield will get um, promoted. The uh, same as we do, and um, or relegated. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. On the way, I couldn't could possibly. I'm, I'm probably get stick for saying that. To be fair, but um, yeah, I mean, we all we're all football fans, and certainly I do the role. I, I love the high category games. To be fair, you know that's what I do the role for. You know the the, the games against the sort of lower attendance clubs. You know they're all very run of the mill and, and nothing to get excited about for. So. Yeah, I certainly signed up for the role and applied for the job to do those, you know, to do the Mansfield games, to do the Grimsby games, the Stockport games, um, because that's where I really want to make a difference at. And without sounding too cheesy, um, where obviously your games, you know, where you're only getting 50, 60 fan, away fans, you know, it's just not the same, is it? You know, that stadium wasn't built for 50, 60 away fans. It was, it was built with... Uh, 1500 plus in that north stand or or two and a half thousand using the two blocks of the east stand as well it, it's just it, it's been a sad demise and and hopefully hopefully we've turned the corner um, and we can get that that league status back but it's as mr Rowe will say it's not over yet it's a really tough league to get out of i mean the form the club's been in and it's so tight up the top of the league still isn't it yeah it's it's it's, it's ridiculously hard to get out of but fingers crossed they'll, they'll go and do it this year 